0: A free download from Delancey Elim Church we meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey contact us to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk Chapter 3, today. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Winnowing is a difficult word to say. (laughs) Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, uh, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain uh, um, pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow kinsmen, sorry, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than it or nearer than I, stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem, but if he is not willing as surely as the Lord lives I will do it lie here until morning so she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognised and he said don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor he also said bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out when she did so, he poured out, it, it poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When we came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. The Naomi, ne- Naomi said, "Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled."
1: Nice, nice. Have, have that offer? Thank you. Excellent. Okay, so we're still looking at uh, at the uh, Book of Ruth, and um, looking really over the last few weeks at moving from. Where we are in God to where we want to be in God. Okay, so moving into the kind of full experience and encounter that we want to see as we journey um, on our Christian on our Christian walk with God. And last week I was reminding us that there's this element of us going and doing, um, just like Ruth who had to go into the fields and do the work. Um, she sort of made that sacrifice. She went. And I was talking about us going and doing, and yet. When we do our part behind the scenes, God's providence is there doing his part. And that actually God is sometimes working behind the scenes of our life, even when we don't realise it. Even when we think perhaps things are going on and we think, oh, where's God in this? Or whatever it is. That behind the scenes, what was happening for Ruth was that God was orchestrating and doing things to make things happen. So we see this great story of Ruth doing her bit, but God's providence as well you know, being together. And I was talking about us dwelling in the shadow of God's wings and taking refuge in God. And as we want to be and uh, experience all we can in God, to make sure that we are taking refuge in God and that he is our place of safety, our place of trust. And we're looking today at chapter three, which is a very interesting chapter. And um, there's so many, when you look at all the commentaries and all the different things on this chapter, there's so much there, Um, so many different views and takes of what actually took place. So a little summary um, of what's happened is this, that (coughs) the custom back then, many of you will know this, is the idea of a kinsman redeemer, Um, that if somebody was widowed, that a relative in the family line would be able to marry that woman um, and and to keep the, the generations going to look after the children that were already there. And so that's what a kinsman redeemer would do. But there were other things that a kinsman redeemer would do as well. It wasn't just about maybe marrying a widow. There was other circumstances. But time um, is against us, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But but just to say that kinsman redeemer was there to basically safeguard. Safeguard a person, safeguard people, safeguard the the property that perhaps somebody had, or to safeguard the, the, the family line and so Boaz was one of the kinsmen redeemers um, there were others but Boaz was one of them and so Naomi encourages Ruth to go to Boaz and spread um, her garment and you know that we might say well what's all that about well basically it means if you spread your garment on someone it's this propos- It really back then it was a proposal it was you know a, a sign of asking someone to marry you um, so that's what it was it wasn't anything untoward um but again, we haven't got loads of time to go into masses of detail on that. So what I want us today is just to have a little bit of a, a look again at Ruth and have a look at her character and have a look at her nature and see actually what we can learn from Ruth again in this chapter. Because she takes this massive um, step, uh, this massive act of boldness to go and do what she did. And it was all for the fulfilment of her destiny. It was all the fulfilment of of you know her dream as it were so what can we learn as we have a little look at Ruth well first of all I think that we know that Ruth was a woman of readiness she was ready and she was prepared let's have a little look at verse 2 and 3 again this is Naomi speaking to Ruth see he Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor wash therefore anoint yourself or perfume yourself put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now this was the normal run of things back then. Okay, um, So for the master to be winnowing in the evening was just a normal thing. That would have happened. And then he would have slept at the threshing floor in order just to protect the crops and, and so that nobody would you know, steal them or anything. So that was a normal situation for Boaz to be in. So Naomi, knowing that Boaz is a relative knowing that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, she wants Ruth to go and seize the opportunity to go and make this thing happen. She wants Ruth to prepare herself to get washed, to get beautified uh, in order that she'll capture Boaz's attentions. I don't know if you're like me, but I quite like the whole process of getting ready to go on a night out. Anybody with me on that? I quite like it. I mean, it's a bit of a faff at times. Sometimes you don't always feel like... But, you know, you have to make those choices about what you're going to wear. Is it going to be a heels evening? Is it going to be flats? Is it a trouser event or skirt? What nail polish are you wearing? Um, You know, are you going to wear your hair up? Is it going to be down? Is it going to be side-parted, centre-parted, sleek, tussled? You know, the list goes on, and that's just for you men, isn't it? That (laughs) process (coughs) there. Us women take even longer. Okay, but... um, it's quite, a bit, it's quite an occasion when you go out to something. It's even more of an occasion when you're going to meet somebody that you really like, that you really fancy, that has grabbed your affections. Well, that's even I don't know if that's exciting or just stressful, I'm not sure, but it's bordering you know, on, on both really. But um, we do. We get prepared, we get ready. And um, if it's a person that we really like and they're really special to us, we'll want to make ourselves attractive for that person. But it could just be that it's an event or it's an occasion. You know, we get, we like to get dressed up for a wedding, don't we? Um, or, you know, I was going to say Christmas Day, but sometimes Christmas Day, some people are just pyjamas, aren't they? So it depends what, depends what your view is. But if it's somebody important or it's an important event or it's a special occasion, then we will make ourselves look a certain way and we will do that as a mark of respect as well for some... For for the occasion you know you don't want someone rocking up on on your wedding day you know in their scruffs really do you no I don't know (laughs) so we do that we prepare ourselves we make ourselves look great and you know what we have something that is so so important so so valuable in our Christian life it's the most important thing it always has been and it always will be and that's the gospel message the most important thing that we have, is the message of Jesus. It's the message of his love. It's the message of the cross. That is the most important thing. And I wonder how much time we spend making ourselves attractive for the gospel. You know, we can spend, you wouldn't think it, but I do try and spend quite a bit of time making myself look attractive for things outside. Um, Like I say, you're supposed to go then. No, you look great okay, fine, right, moving on (laughs) but you know we do, I, I spend time you know, making ourselves look lovely on the outside for certain things and I want to ask that question of how much time do we spend making ourselves look really attractive for the gospel message of Jesus it's the most important thing and I don't mean physically attractive obviously for the gospel that might help but I don't mean that. I just mean our outward attitudes and our outward actions and how we are. You know, Ruth didn't really need to bother too much to make herself look physically attractive for Boaz because I think, judging from, from this story, perhaps actually they knew each other quite well already. And, and then Ruth had already won Boaz's heart, not by what she looked like, but it was her outward display of her inward beauty. That had already captured his attention. But I want to ask us is how is our appearance looking? Do we appear loving, kind, generous, gracious, thankful, compassionate? Are we clothing ourselves in those things to make the gospel message really appealing? Because if we are saying we are Christians in our workplaces, in our home, wherever we are, if we are saying that this is the message we're carrying of love love out towards people. Are we showing that? Is that what we're looking like? You see, what did Ruth do? Well first of all she she was told by Naomi to wash herself. Okay, now we wouldn't dream of leaving the house, would we, in the morning without washing. No, we wouldn't. Now, if someone wants that next juice is a bit smelly this morning, just have a little bit of a whiff of them, see if, see if they've uh, they've washed this morning. <coughs> you won't you won't want to say you're too nice, aren't you? But generally speaking, when we get up in the morning, we have a wash and then we go out in our day. And it's really a sign of maturity that we get to that point where we want to wash ourselves every day because you know, sometimes when, you're, when you've got teenagers in the house, they don't really want to wash too much. They have to be told to wash. And when you're a child, of course, you have to be washed and bathed. So it's a kind of sign of maturity when you actually get up in the morning and go, no, I do want to have a shower and I do want to smell nice And, and you know, in, in that respect. And I think as we grow and we develop and we become more mature on our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, we need to recognise that we too need to be continually washed, not physically, but spiritually. We need to continually be asking ourselves, what is it that is, gonna cause, is causing a barrier or causing a hindrance to our walk with God? What is in our life that we need to be cleansed from, that we need to be purified from, that we need to be washed from? Because there'll be things all the time. Just because we've been a Christian years and years doesn't mean we don't battle with sometimes the same things or things come into our life or things distract us or hinder us. And I think we need to, like Ruth, who physically went and washed herself, on our Christian journey, and as we want to go from where we are to where we want to be in Christ, we have to say, okay, well, what in my life needs to be cleansed? What do I need to deal with? What do I need to wash myself from? And there'll be things all the time that come up, and I think we need to ask ourselves that question today. Well oh, hello. <laughs> We've got the Bible speaking to us. And um, secondly, Ruth, not only was she washing herself, but Naomi said, I want you to go and perfume yourself. And my bar in my version, I don't know what it says in yours, it says anoint. Um, so these fragrant oils would have been used to heal and protect their bodies, but it was also used to make them sweet-smelling, to make them smell pleasant. And um, I don't know if you're like me, but there's certain perfumes that you really like, yeah? Or not, not for men, maybe. <laughs> Still shaking his head. Um, or an aftershave or something that you like the smell of. Some people go natural. They don't like having smells. Um, I do, though. I do have my signature scent that I like. Um, and some people do. There's somebody in our church, now I'm, I don't want to embarrass them, but there's someone in our church that just always smells really good. Like they always smell really good. Now you all smell good, okay? Just want to incorporate you all in there. So you all smell lovely, it's okay. Well, um, but there is someone in our church that always smells absolutely lovely. And um, if you want to go and have a sniff of her afterwards, okay? I'm sure she won't mind. Um, you have to find a reason to go and speak to her and then have a little bit of a sniff of her. I am talking about Maria. <laughs> because whenever I, I give Maria a hug, I'm always like, oh, you always smell so lovely. There's a perfume that she wears, which is just, Simon, you're very lucky. She always smells really good, yeah. <laughs> and um, some people just have this, have a scent or a perfume that they have, which is, which is lovely. And so Naomi was saying to Ruth, go and make yourself smell really lovely. So you attract Boaz, you know, perfume yourself. That's what we do, because smell is really, really important. And I'm not saying as Christians we need to go and (laughs) find a new perfume, all right? But if we're thinking about our Christian walk, I want to ask us that question today. Not only are we washed, but how are we smelling? How do we smell as a Christian? Are we fragrant as a Christian? Do we give off a nice aroma to those around us? Do people come and talk to us and be in our presence and go away feeling better about themselves? Because that's really what it should be. Are we anointing ourselves with the Holy Spirit daily? Are we allowing space for the Holy Spirit to move in our life, to speak to us, to work through us and our situations and I don't just mean a little bit. You know, when you've got perfume, and it's expensive perfume, put a little bit on your neck, a little bit on your wrist, don't you? A bit of dab here and there. But with the Holy Spirit, we need to completely immerse ourselves. It's not just a little bit. It's not, okay, I'll have a little bit of you, God. No, it's the whole lot. It's immersing ourselves in the Holy Spirit so that we can be um, smelt a mile off. I don't know. But we want people to see Christ in us. And I want to ask, how immersed are we? How anointed are we in the Holy Spirit today? Are we washed? Are we perfumed? And Ruth put on this cloak, these new clothes, depending what translation you've got. <coughs> it was not a time for her to be wearing the clothes of a sorrowing widow, which she was, because we know we've read that she lost her husband. And uh, this was a time to get out of those clothes. It was a time to dress uh, as if for a wedding. And you may ask the question, well, we may ask the question, well, why did Ruth have to go to Boaz? And why wasn't it that Boaz approached Ruth? And it's been suggested, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but it's been suggested that because up until this point, Ruth may have still been wearing her mourning garments. She may have still been wearing um, the clothes of, of a widow because back then, of course, that's what you did. It was common to express how you were feeling and what you wore. We don't do that today but they did back then. And perhaps (coughs) it's suggested that Ruth was still wearing those clothes of the sorrowing widow. And so, of course, while she was mourning the loss of her husband, Boaz wasn't going to do anything. Boaz wasn't going to approach her in any way, even though they had spent time together already and knew each other. He wasn't going to pursue. And so it might be that Naomi was saying to Ruth, look, it's time to dress new clothes on. It's time to get out of those old clothes and show that you are ready now. What good would it be to get washed, to get perfumed, and then to put on yesterday's clothes? It was time for new clothes. I'm sure we've all done this at some point, and if you haven't, then, well, mm, I don't know. You might be lying. But you've done the smell test on your clothes. Have you ever, done that smell test? Some of you looking at me going, no. I don't do that. You know when you're just like, you get up in the morning and you're really tired and you're running out of time and nothing seems to be clean and so you give your clothes a smell from yesterday and see if they're okay still? A little bit of a whiff. And if they're all right, you put them on and then you go out and your day and you think, I'm a bit smelly. Well, maybe that's just me, okay? But that does happen sometimes, doesn't it? But it doesn't happen too often. Not at all, No. Because it's not very nice to put on yesterday's clothes when they've been smelly from yesterday. You want to put on new clothes. It's a new day. It's a new moment. And you want to smell good. I want to ask this question to us. What are we wearing today? What have we put on today? Not physical clothes. But sometimes we can continue to pick up things of yesterday and wear them and take them with us into our day or into our Christian journey. A while back I did a a sermon about baggage. I don't know if you remember when I was putting on all the bags of all the things that have happened to us perhaps in the past. And I kind of, thinking about that same idea today, that we wouldn't dream really of getting up in the morning and putting on our old clothes from yesterday. We put on new clothes because it's a new day and it's a new moment. And perhaps on our walk with God from, from going where we are to where we want to be, we have to say, what am I putting on? What am I putting on myself? What am I dressing myself and clothing myself in? Am I, am I clothing myself in you know, the self-doubt, the hurt, the disappointment, the bitterness, the things of the past? Am I putting those back on myself today? Is that what I'm going to look like today? Is that the attitude that I'm going to have today? And I think we need to remember that today is a new day, it's a new moment, and garner those things of yesterday. We don't need to have to put them back on anymore. We can take them off, wash ourselves, cleanse ourselves, anoint ourselves, and put on new clothes, put on the new attitudes, the new ideas. Because there's stuff in our life that we sometimes just have to take off and get rid of and say that was yesterday. Today, I'm going to a new place. Ruth was saying, Today, I'm going to a new place. Today, I'm leaving the past behind and I'm going to embrace my future. Today, I'm moving into this situation with Boaz, which is going to take me into a new opportunity. And if we want to go into a new opportunity and be taken on in Christ in our walk with God, perhaps we need to to say, Well, what do I need to be washed from? Am I anointed? In the Holy Spirit and what do I need to get rid of in terms of the things of the past, the things of yesterday so Ruth was a woman who was ready but she was a woman too of great boldness it takes courage to go into this situation, it takes courage to go and ask someone to marry you somehow people find the courage every day day in day out to ask somebody to marry them but i would imagine now that's quite a courageous thing to do i've never done it but i would imagine that's quite courageous but people do it every day why because it's worth it isn't it because they really want to marry that person they love that person it's worth it when something's worth it when something's of great value, then we can find the courage, we can find the boldness to go and do that because it's worth being bold. It's worth being courageous for. And boldness is far more than not just not being afraid of something. Boldness in our life means loving courageously. Boldness means being extravagant with our grace, extravagant with our forgiveness. Boldness means to move from where we're comfortable to perhaps where we're uncomfortable, to be honest. Boldness can mean that we just need to make a stand and stand up for something, stand up for justice. Boldness is a letting go and letting God take control of our life. And Ruth had to be bold in this situation to go to Boaz. And Ruth had experienced much pain, she'd experienced much sorrow, but what Ruth had done is that she'd learned how to survive and she knew what it was to live with great loss. She'd lost her husband, she'd lost her father and brother-in-law, she'd, she'd left her family home in Moab, she'd come to a new place. So she knew what it was to suffer. But I think that these experiences in Ruth's life served as a great platform to take her into this new place. They served her well in the sense of giving her courage and giving her boldness to do what she needed to do. She had this rare opportunity in front of her. And I think sometimes in our life, perhaps there's things, as I was saying last week, things that happen in our life that don't make sense to us, things that come our way, disappointments, difficulties, all sorts of stuff comes into our life that we can't really make sense of. And maybe, maybe just maybe, God will use those things as a platform to take us into the next step of our journey. Perhaps those things will help us to have the boldness or the courage or tenacity or whatever we need to take us to that next chapter. Sometimes when you look back at the chapters of your life, you see that the chapter that you're in right now is, is happening because of what went before, even, how, even if it was difficult and even if it was painful, but it's made us who we are. And God has used those things. Not that God planned those things necessarily, but he's used them. He's turned them around for his purpose. And so that's the great thing about, that's the great thing, isn't it, about God and how he uses stuff in our life. I love that. That everything that happens in my life, God can just turn it around and use it for his purposes. Even my mistakes, even my failures, even the things I get wrong, he can use them. And he, I, think, I think he used The difficulty of Ruth's life, the suffering, the pain that she went through helped her to be bold, to be strong, to go where she needed to go because she needed boldness as well because this was a risky business, what she was about to do because she risked being criticised. She risked being completely misunderstood and we still don't even know the fullness of what happened here at the threshing floor. But she um, she could have been accused of all sorts of things of trying to seduce Boaz or whatever it was but verse 9 reveals that that was not the case because Boaz said who are you and she answered I am Ruth your servant spread your wings your garment over your servant for you are a redeemer and that's what I meant about before about asking for, for marriage it wasn't just to seduce Boaz it was honourable her intentions were honourable But people could have completely misread it. Here's a woman, all washed, perfumed, beautified, going to Boaz, who was a lot older than her, and um, the other harvesters could have thought all sorts of things. So she needed boldness. She needed to be strong. What she was doing was honourable. And when we're striving to be all that we can in God, when we're striving to do all that we can do, we need courage, we need boldness, because sometimes... To others, looking in, our actions, our approach, the way we do things in our life, um, may be misinterpreted. Other people can look in at what we're doing on our Christian journey and see it differently to how it really is. We can have critics, critics that perhaps are jealous or maybe just critics that have completely misunderstood our motivation for doing things. People don't always understand grace. People don't always understand love. People don't always understand justice. People don't always get it when you say, I'm living for God and I've found my security in him. People don't always get that or understand that. I could go on, couldn't I? But Psalm 37 says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday which means we don't have to justify ourselves to people. If we're living the Christian life and we're giving it all to God, yes, people might misinterpret. People might not understand why we do the things we do. might not get it because they don't understand our relationship with Christ. And we need a boldness like Ruth had to silence those things and to continue because what we're doing is honourable. So, Ruth was ready, (coughs) she was bold and she knew what it was to trust. Let's have a look at verse 11 and 12. It says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. It was Boaz speaking to Ruth. And Boaz was asking Ruth to put her trust in him and that he would then go and fulfill her request. And Ruth now, in her life, had to step back and she had to trust Boaz. And she had done what she could do. She had done her part and now she's putting her trust in Boaz. I was speaking last week about Ruth going into the field. She was doing what she could do um, and uh, then was leaving the rest to God. And it's the same here in that sense. that She's done what she can do but now she's trusting Boaz. But ultimately... She's trusting God, isn't she? Ultimately, she's putting her trust in the hands of God. And there are times, I think, in our own lives when we simply need to take our hands off the situation and stand back and, and just and trust. And then that's difficult. It's not easy. But that's what we need to do. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of of the Lord our God because whatever God starts he finishes what he does he does well and he can be trusted it's easy to trust when we've got nothing to trust God for and we're just going along and everything's okay it is difficult sometimes to put our whole trust to begin trusting in God for something we become anxious we can become uncertain of what lies ahead we can get feelings of insecurity. One moment, we can be like an absolute woman or man of faith and we're like, oh, it's all going fantastic. The next minute, we can feel completely empty. We can even question whether perhaps we're a Christian at all. Maybe that's just me. One moment, you can be up here going, yeah, I'm fully on fire. and fully trusting God. That's a Sunday. And then Monday evening, you're like, oh. I don't even know where I am. I feel empty. I don't even know um, whether I'm a Christian. I have so little faith. And we know it's possible to defect from Christianity. We see people do it all the time. It's in the Bible. Um, people who shipwreck their faith. So we know it's possible that it can happen. Sometimes I, you know, ask myself, how do I know I haven't already shipwrecked my faith? How do I already know, you know, that <coughs> I've lost, you know, I feel like I've lost my trust in God? One problem comes, another problem comes, anxious thoughts come, depression can come, and we start questioning ourselves. But what we need to remember is this. Now, that's not unusual. That happens, okay? Because every one of us, although we're a person of faith, we also have our doubts. Although we're a person of faith, we're also just an average human person. We're a sinner. And so those things will happen. Those things will creep into our mind. It's a normal thing. But we need to remember this, that our security doesn't depend on how sure we are of ourselves, which is a good thing, okay? Our security is in Christ. It's because we trust in the name of the Lord, our God, who is absolutely sure for us, absolutely certain for us. We can't put our trust in our performance. We can't put our trust in our health, in our righteousness. We can't put our trust in the chariots and the horses of our time and our day, whatever those chariots and horses may well be. But God is trustworthy and God can be trusted. The aim of fear is to try and get us to you know, move away from the journey of God. The aim of fear is to get us away from our destiny. But it's trusting in God that will prevent that from happening. It's my Christian journey that I know that things will come into my life to want to distract me and take me away from where God wants me to be. And so often that will be a a fear of something, or it will be something that I'm doubting, or it will be some sort of disappointment, or something will try and come and steer me away from the journey of where I'm heading in Christ. And I have to bring myself back and say, I am not trusting in anything other than my God. I'm not trusting in anything other than what the word of the Lord says in my life. I'm not listening to this. I'm not listening to that or that or that or whatever wants to come my way to take me off of where I'm going in Christ. And it's trusting in the word and the Lord. And he is secure. Ruth. She was ready. She was bold. She was full of trust, and finally, she was someone who was obedient and submissive to to Naomi, to what she was clinging to. You see, what uh, what enabled Ruth to be able to get herself ready, to prepare herself, to go into this situation with Boaz, to enable her to be bold, to take a risk, and to risk criticism to be able to trust, to be able to be obedient to what Naomi was asking her to do and to be obedient to God and and submit to what Naomi's plan was. To do all of that, to enable her to do all of that, Ruth had to come to a place in her life. And the place she had to come to was to recognise that it wasn't about her. It was never about her. But it was about Naomi. And she had to come to that point where she gave up every right on her own life to say, I'm, I'm following Naomi. And we go back to chapter one where it says Ruth clung to Naomi and said, where you go, I will go. And I was talking about Naomi being a little bit of a symbol for us in connecting with our dream and our destiny in God. And the moment that Ruth said those words, Naomi, where you go, I will go, what Ruth was doing at that point was giving up her agenda, was giving up the things of her life that she wanted and she was saying I'm putting all of those things aside and I'm going with you Naomi because she would have known that Naomi had absolutely nothing Naomi had had nothing she had no prospects for the future but with Ruth by her side that would have helped because with Ruth by her side, she would have had support and she would have been looked after. And of course, eventually we know that Ruth was able to marry the kinsman redeemer. <coughs> so Ruth knew that Naomi had nothing. So what Ruth did was she sacrificed herself. Ruth wasn't expecting a better life. She wasn't thinking, oh, I'll go with Naomi because I'll get a better life. She, she, she lived in Moab. That was her family home. She could have got remarried there, stayed with her parents, would have been Okay. She didn't know what she was going to. All she knew was she was going to cling to Naomi and she was going to say, it's not about me, it's about you. And she wasn't saying <coughs> to God, well, I'll go with Naomi so long as th- 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 this, whatever it is, fill in the gaps. No, she just submitted herself. There's no personal agenda. She went and she did the right thing. She wasn't saying, you know, I'm going but I expect a better life when I go with Naomi. I'm going to go with Naomi, but I expect to get a husband. I'm going to go with Naomi, but I expect this, I expect whatever. She didn't say that. She didn't. She said this, nothing but death will keep me from doing what I need to do. No conditions on her obedience. None. And I think as Christians, that's what it is for us to enter into the place of obedience to God with no agenda no exceptions no expectations no conditions but just say God I'm obeying you that's it I was reading an interesting article the other week about the phrase that we use when people become a Christian and we use this phrase of inviting God into our lives and we know what we mean by that but they were talking about the phrasing of it and I thought it was an interesting thought about actually it's the wrong way to look at it when we give our life to Christ. Rather than asking Christ into our life, we should be asking God to allow, him into his, allow us into, into his life. It's not that we ask Christ to come in and serve us and serve our agenda and our needs and our wants, but actually we're stepping into God's agenda. He's the master and we're the servant. I just thought it was an interesting little idea. Actually, that we take our hands off our own life. We say, it's not about me. It's just not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my agenda, God. It's about you. And I'm giving it up as I walk into a life with you. And that's what Ruth was doing there with Naomi. I find that slightly unnerving. Do you? I find that's quite a huge thing, actually. That's quite massive, and that, that's not easy. That's difficult. How are we supposed to be like that as a Christian? How are we supposed to be like Ruth and follow Ruth's example? Ruth's amazing example that she set down, of saying it's not about me. I'm, I'm living for you, Naomi. How can we follow the example we say it's not about me? I'm living for you, Jesus Christ because I want to be able to trust you I want to be bold, I I want to be ready how can we do that? how can we have this complete obedience (coughs) of no conditions? well let me encourage you with this we will never be able to be like that in our own strength we will never be able to follow Ruth's amazing example that she set with Naomi if we just try and do it on our own We have to look ahead to chapter 4. And I was taking a chapter a week, but I can't leave you just like this. I have to show you chapter 4 to give us hope. Otherwise, we might go away from this morning and be thinking, okay, well, yes, I can do all of that. I can be more bold. I can be more trusting. I can be ready, and I can obey. But actually, all the goodwill in the world, we might only last till we get out the door. So we have to look ahead to chapter 4 and see something something else. To follow <coughs> Ruth's example, to be like this, to do this, we have to see that in this story, there's more than one redeemer. Boaz is not the only redeemer, is he, in the story? We have another redeemer. So chapter 4, verse 14 to 15. <coughs> Let's just have a quick look at it. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him we're going to unpack this more next week but I want to share this with you now may his name be renowned in Israel may his name be great in Israel whose name? Jesus's name. You see, Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the real redeemer of this story. Boaz is his kinsman redeemer, but Jesus is the real redeemer, and Jesus is the descendant from this child. So Ruth and Boaz have a child, and then that that child has a child, and so on, so on, right down to the line of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the real redeemer. Jesus is the one who, like Ruth, left his throne. <clears throat> and like Boaz, paid, paid our debts. You know, when Boaz took on Ruth as, as his wife, he basically, um, you know, paid all the debts or whatever was owing, and Ruth got all the wealth of Boaz as she married him. And that's what Jesus, our Redeemer, does for us that all his wealth is ours. He is our flesh and blood. Jesus becomes our substitute. Christianity is not to say that we need to try in our own strength to become more like Ruth or Boaz or whoever it is. Being a Christian is recognising that there was one who who truly went outside the gate, truly became an alien. Ruth did, but Jesus did. It's not how to live a good life, but that he lived the good life for us, that Jesus has already done that and he is our substitute. And we can... Only when we see Jesus, only when we know Jesus, only when we recognise who we really are in Jesus will we then be able to live like Ruth. We can't live like Ruth just on our own, in our own strength. We need to see what Jesus has done for us. Only then can we follow Ruth's pattern. She points towards the real Redeemer. And Jesus' spiritual wealth is ours. It's as if he spread his garment over us. There's no joy in obedience without seeing Jesus. If we don't know Christ, if we don't know Jesus, all we're doing is trying to obey in our own strength. And that's not much fun. (laughs) There's not much joy in that, is there, when we're trying to do things on our own, trying to follow Ruth's example on our own. We've got to see it in the light of our real Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ, who has done it all for us. is our substitute. All his wealth is ours now that's good that's pretty amazing I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up for a moment I want us to just think okay about this chapter 3 about Ruth's character and her nature I think is there something in that today from this passage that we can take away with us, is there something in this passage that will help us move from where we are now in Christ to a little bit further along the journey of where we want to be in Jesus. Now, we might think back to Ruth, who was ready, washed, anointed, clothed, ready for the situation. That situation that she was walking into with Boaz was her destiny, was, it was her future. Are we washed? Are we anointed with the Spirit? Are we putting on new clothes and taking off the things of yesterday? to go into the situation where we really want to be in the fullness of Christ. Maybe we need boldness today. Boldness like Ruth had. Maybe we need to know that we've got a God today that we can trust. We can't trust in chariots. We can't trust in horses. We can't trust in the things of our own lives, my own feelings, my own emotions, what I'm thinking, but I can trust in God and his word. Do we have to think today about our obedience to God but know that that example that we follow is because we are redeemed in Christ? Shall we stand together? (coughs) Father God, I thank you for this character of Ruth, for this story that can inspire us because we want to know you more we want to see you more we want to grow in our love for you more we want to be able to change who we are in you we want to go into the things of you further we want to embrace all that you have for us and Lord we know that you took Ruth someone who was just an ordinary, ordinary woman living a pretty obscure life but you took her into greatness you took her into great things And she knew what it was to cling to Naomi. She knew what it was to cling to the dream where she recognised that it was not about her, but it was all about Naomi. And God, I pray you bring us to a place where we know that it's not about us, it's not about what we want and our agendas, but actually it's all about you. But I pray that we would know and see that our real redeemer is Jesus. And that all that Jesus is to us, that he is our substitute, that his great wealth is given to us. And we need to see Jesus, we need to see you, we need to see who we are in you to spur us on to obedience because it's only then that it becomes joyful, something that we want to do. We want to live out the fullest life we can for you, Lord. To be bold, to trust in you, to be ready, to be washed, to be anointed. I pray today that you would help us. I pray each and every person here this morning would know that you are wanting take them deeper and further into the things of yourself for every person here today all of us would know that you have a plan and a purpose for us and that we can experience you and know you in all your fullness and that we can move we can move on this journey with you lord great significance in you. But I pray, Lord, that we never lose the sight of your Son, never lose the sight of the cross, never lose the sight of Jesus, who has done it all, who has paid the price, who helps us, inspires us, is with us. I pray our eyes would be on him today. As we continue on this walk with you, on this exciting journey with you, help us to become Lord, all that we can possibly become in you.